You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, magic speeches aren't going to change this. So to be honest with you, today I left the locker room and had the captains address them. Uh, some of these guys, are we got great captains. we got good character kids, and I know guys like Austin Allen and JoJo uh, are going to want to finish it and finish it the right way. So, um, And we need a little more of that. The guys will keep working, but it, it's disappointing. Everybody's trying to hear his same speech, man. You know, we, we go back and forth, you know, about the same things day in and day out. Uh, and then we get to the weekend and we have the same result. It, it's the same speech, so he'd rather, you know, hear from the players. Um, because it's really a heart-to-heart thing, and we're on the field together. He's not on the field with us. He's, you know, our head coach, and we feel for him. But those players have been here a long time. It hasn't been a change yet, so I feel like they need to feel that from us. Um, the change is culture, man. Right now there's three games in, ahead of us. We still, They're still Nebraska across their chest. We're still competing for the state. We're still competing for this university. There's a lot to play for still. Uh, we got some guys, we got some teams coming that why not beat them, you know? We got everything in front of us. Let's push the reset button. What happened happened today. Um, we're going to learn from it tomorrow, um, and we're going to be on to Ohio State. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washett getting you ready for now Saturday's Nebraska-Ohio State game. It's an 11 a.m. game. Get your coffee going. Pack your car the night before. Get on the interstate and come on into Lincoln. Um, it's an early kick after a 2.30. Before that, we had two night games in a row in Lincoln, so you got to get back used to these 11 a.m.s and – Ohio State comes into town, Robin, and you know on the heels of you know there's been a lot of disappointments in the season and obviously the Scott Frost era, but that one just felt up there with the the nature of it. You know, year four of a coach playing a game where I think you felt like you had more talent, you had the upper hand, you were at home, but you throw four interceptions and your offense really completely falls apart in the second half and that, that was it, it was really a low point and I'll be curious how this team now comes back from that moment well especially because it was once again another critical opportunity for Nebraska to uh, have to take advantage of in order to show tangible evidence that this program is heading in the right direction instead once again uh, they completely fell apart when it mattered the most, uh, had played some of their worst offensive football that we've seen uh, from this group, and that's saying something, uh, in the second half of that game after leading it at halftime. And just the the, the manner in which it went down, the, the sloppy turnovers, the terrible execution, the bad body language. The, the It was a scene at Memorial Stadium that we've seen a few times in the past, and usually when we see those, very bad things happen, you know, as far as uh, with, with that current program. So um, it was a notable day for a lot of reasons, not just because of what it meant for Nebraska's season, but how it changed the the tenor in my mind around here. Like, you know, there's some people that I think were still on the fence hoping that this thing would get right. But when you go and lay an egg like that in such a critical game against Purdue at home, a game that you were favored to win, you were expected to win, that's, I think, uh, kind of maybe pushed some people that were sitting on the fence uh, over to one side. Well, we say expected to win, but Nebraska was a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. They were a slight favorite against Illinois. They were a slight favorite against Minnesota. And, you know, those aren't guaranteed wins, but I, I think you would like to think, hey, we are Nebraska. But they lost all of them. We invest more money. We care about football more than these places do. We have more fans. We have more support, more history, more tradition. These are the games that you need to win. Absolutely. I mean – and to use a basketball analogy, it's like when Nebraska basketball beats Indiana. You know, people in Indiana are pissed. Yes. You know, they're they like, 
It's a, it's a, it's a, that's a direct correlation. Indiana basketball fans <laughs> and their displeasure with what Indiana basketball has been is a mirror image of Nebraska football. And it's the exact same deal. I mean, Indiana basketball fans view Nebraska basketball the same way that Nebraska football fans view Illinois, view Purdue. Illinois Purdue, Northwestern. And guess what? Nebraska's 6-15. and 15 in the Big Ten West under Scott Frost. They are 2-2 two and two against Northwestern, 2-2 two and two against Illinois, 1-3 against Minnesota, 1-3 against Purdue, and winless, combined 0-5 against Wisconsin-Iowa with two more games to play against those two in the year. Well, it's like everybody has taken on this approach how you beat Nebraska. It's this kind of steady wins the race. You kind of take this tortoise approach. You don't try to win it all in one play. You, you, you just grind Nebraska. And then you put the pressure back on Nebraska's offense, gets quick three and outs, then you tire out their defense. Mm -hmm. And that was the recipe. Now, Michigan State couldn't do that. Nebraska, you know, controlled the upper hand with the way they played on defense at Michigan State, and they put together some great drives in the second half. But obviously the punt uh, deal caused that loss. And I I think both Purdue and Minnesota figured out how you beat Nebraska. You you just figure out a way to extend possessions and – time of possession and really wear down their defense, which in all reality is not as deep, Robin, as maybe they make it out to be sometimes with how they've been rotating guys in. Yeah, I mean, they've really cut down their rotations from the beginning of the year to where, I mean, they're playing, what, five, six guys on the D-line, you know, maybe. The two inside linebackers play almost the whole game. Six or seven linebackers total, and most of those are on the outside. So, uh, and then in the secondary, they've been hardly rotating at all. Now that rotation got even thinner with Deontay Williams being sidelined. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's an issue. And it's been an issue where, uh, you know, the defense is being asked to do so much because of the ineptitude of the offense. And like clockwork, when the game drags on and, you know, opposing teams, like you said, go in with a game plan of just chipping away at Nebraska's defense uh, and over the first, second quarter, by the time the third quarter and fourth quarter rolled around, you know, there's, there's inevitably going to be some breakdowns and they take advantage. But uh, I think the, 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 the blueprint uh, beyond that is you just do enough to keep the game close late in the game and Nebraska will, will inevitably find a way to screw it up. Whether it's special teams, offense, or uh, a glaring defensive breakdown, there's going to be some point in the game that will turn the course of momentum with a Nebraska mistake. And it's happened time and again, and it's almost like uh, the the same old story Frost has talked about. Trivia question, what's the one time Nebraska has finished a game in the fourth quarter in the last two years? Oh, I'm sure it's an easy answer. I can't think of it. Rutgers. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the only time you can really remember where it was a game like we're seeing this year, a game where you're really upset watching it. Mm -hmm. And then they actually figured out a way to pull it out. Right. And a lot of that was because Rutgers was just – dead i mean they had nothing and nebraska was dead i mean playing december 18th and night game football in new jersey with no fans but yeah there have been so few of those moments where nebraska pulls it together at the end when it matters um and 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 that's that's really the you know five and 18 in one score games zero and six this year nebraska's been favored in six of their nine games this year and they are three and six yeah and you know i think that's kind of just says it all about the state of this program right now is they're not winning the games they're supposed to win. They're playing, you know, better than you would expect uh, in the games that are supposed to get blown out. And so that gives you that little carrot of hope that maybe things are going to turn. But when the Illinois game, when the Minnesota game, when the Purdue game, 
those types of things just do so much to discourage any optimism that you might have about where this current program is in year four of this coaching staff that you know any good graces that you're able to build with those those close losses and talk about how close you are they kind of get erased with efforts like that well and i'll say this the crowd has still been amazing um i think there was a thought going into purdue that you might see some empty swabs of seats and and that wasn't the case first of all it was a chamber of commerce saturday in memorial stadium we're going to get that again this week it looked like it was going to be colder a week ago at this time for Ohio State with a high in like the, the mid-40s. But mm-hmm. we're going to get 60s again. Um, you know, so you're going to get a beautiful day in the stadium. And I'm sure you'll see a few less people in the stadium because 11 a.m. is a little harder to get going for. Um, but that is still what is the most amazing thing to me about this stretch. You name me another team in the world that draws like Nebraska that has not had a winning season since 2016. There aren't any. And that's what separates Nebraska's program and fan base from most everybody else. But I'm not I'm, – I'm with you. I don't, I'm not worried about, you know, at kickoff seeing, you know, glaring open Maybe sections. in the students. And that's every student section right. in the country I mean, at 11 a.m. That's the hardest part of the stadium to fill. But uh, what I would be curious to see is if things go the way that the majority of Nebraska-Ohio State games have gone – and this game is lopsided at halftime, who's coming back? And when the third quarter kicks off, how many empty seats are there? And the people that do stay, what's the mood going to be like? Are we going to hear boos like we did in the fourth quarter against Purdue when Adrian threw that fourth interception? Uh, you know, that's I think that's questionable there. Uh, it's, I'm not worried about the start of the game because, like I said, people are going to go because they always go. And no matter what, they're going to go to Nebraska football games. But how many of them are going to stay and sit through it if things turn ugly? Yeah, and it, it, the stadium emptied out early in the fourth quarter after the fourth intercept, the fourth of the third interception. I believe it was the fourth. Mm-hmm. And you know, Nebraska actually still had a chance to, to win the game. Came down to an onside kick. It, so <laughs> it, I mean, it would have been just fitting if they did pull that out. All those people that left, um, you know, rubbing people rubbing it into those people, but it, it wouldn't have mattered. I mean, Nebraska is where they're at right now, and this is a tough one. And you know that. You look at who they play down the stretch, Rob, and they've got Ohio State, who they've only beaten one time, which was the very first year of joining the Big Ten Conference in 2011. Um, then you look at Wisconsin. They have not beaten them since 2012, their second year in the Big Ten, and they have not beaten well Iowa mm-hmm. since 2014, which was Bo Pelini's final season. And, oh, to go to a bowl game, you got to beat all three of those teams. Yeah, good luck with that. So, I mean, that's – to me, that that is a little bit too steep of a mountain to climb. I mean, I don't even know if they're going to get out of this week. I, I would highly be stunned if they did, but uh, to go and and have to do it again on the road. I could Wisconsin, see him beating Iowa. Yeah, I mean that's the one probably the most winnable game out of that stretch right now, considering the way Ohio State's playing and Wisconsin's resurgence and having to go there to Madison in November. That's tough for anybody, but the Iowa. I mean, they've been exposed a lot, and clearly, there's we're a not petition the to fire Brian Ferentz now. Jeez, so yeah, it goes to show you. So how quickly things can turn, but you know, I, you know, that might help if you close the year finally beating your your rival Iowa. You know, to at least <laughs> shut that fan base up for a little bit. But uh, as far as going to a bowl, I'm I'm not holding my breath whatsoever. Well, there's only been one coach that's ever come back at Nebraska through four losing seasons. Bill Jennings and you know how he did it that year he had a signature win over Oklahoma Mm. which gave him a fifth year and I I think when you're Scott Frost you need a signature win right now three opportunities and you know playing beating Northwestern (laughs) 
It's not a signature win. No. Moral victories or moral defeats, whatever you want to call them, are, are not signature moments. So, I mean, you could argue that the, the high point of this season was just the night of the Michigan game, but they lost, but just the way they fought that second half. But they need something to go their way. And uh, we'll continue this discussion as we get you ready for Saturday's Nebraska-Ohio State game. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Hi, it's Sean Callahan with Husker Online. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Me, my leadership needs to be steadfast and consistent. You know, unfortunately, when you when you lost a bunch of close games, you feel yourself kind of saying the same thing over and over to the guys. Can't make those mistakes. Got to make the play when it matters. We did a, a ton of good things in that game. And, you know, Purdue had five turnovers against Wisconsin and lost. And we had four turnovers against Purdue and lost. That's how football works. Uh, so I can go in the locker room and say the same thing. And I addressed the guys, said what I thought was important. Uh, and I turned it over to the captains. And I think in that moment, that was probably a little more powerful um, because of where we are. And uh, that's the probably the impetus for the motivation that needs to happen here at the end of the season is the guys deciding hell yeah we're going to buckle down and and get some of these games done at the end of the year and that's the team i saw at practice today and welcome back here to the husker online show sean callahan and robin washhead as this segment of the husker online show brought to you by tanner's sports bar and grill as Robin and I weren't in there Monday night, but it would have been fun to have my Kansas City Chiefs going against Robin and Matt Abdelmase's New York Giants. And, you know, it was, it was an ugly game, Robin, but I'm, I know Tanner's was packed. Uh, Monday night football. Uh, sorry, I had, I had to rub that into you. Well, you know what? At this point, it actually benefits the Giants more than a win would have because now we get to have a better draft pick once again. And as long as the Bears continue to be bad, I need Justin Fields to, like, just not get good. And then they will have two potential top ten picks. So uh, there's still there's still optimism. But anyway, get into Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill, 30th and Yankee Hill Road. They have all your football action covered. Thursday night NFL, Friday night college, um, Saturday college, Sunday NFL, Monday NFL, anything BTN plus. So Nebraska basketball, Nebraska volleyball, when baseball's in swing, Cassie and the team over at Tanner's. They put the games on, and they were the first sports bar in Lincoln to do that. And I don't know if any very many others do that, but they get lots of calls. Are you going to air the volleyball game when it's BTN Plus? They will always have that volleyball game on in there. There's not a better place to watch Nebraska volleyball play um, or any any sport for that matter at Tanner's on 30th and Yankee Hill. But Robin, let's talk some offensive storylines. And you know, you hear Coach Frost and the players. The team came back. They had a great practice. I mean, I, 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 I don't mean to be negative, but it just feels like a lot of folks are probably beyond that comment. It's like, show me on Saturday. Yeah. You know, show me on Saturday. Yeah, if, if games were won on Monday practices and, and Tuesday practices, Nebraska would probably be undefeated at this point. But unfortunately, it's not about what you do during the week if it doesn't show up on game day. And more often than not, uh, at least for a full four quarters, it has not shown up really outside of maybe one or two weeks in any game this season. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. You take that with a gigantic grain of salt at this point. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk quarterback, Robin. 
you heard Scott Frost say this last week, no thought at all of really going to Logan Smothers. And you and I, I know, are not surprised by that. I mean, Adrian's played with a basically a broken jaw that's wired shut. I mean, I think he, he can't chew for that matter. I mean, wow. he has to drink uh, smoothies and shakes. Um, you know, he's got a bad ankle still from practice a couple of weeks ago and then through four picks and through all of that, you know, he still hasn't, you know, been able and he still hasn't come out of a game. So I think it kind of tells you where they're at with the quarterback. And, you know, we have seen some practice. and I don't think either is a surprise. Look at some others to look good in the games in limited game play. But there's definitely a reason why he's not really up there yet. Yeah, I, I think just the. I mean, obviously, experience is, is one thing that you can't simulate whatsoever, and you can make the argument, well, the only way he gets experience, experience is if you play him, but the reality is that even as banged up as Adrian is, this staff feels that he is still the better option and a pretty uh, obvious difference uh, in, in giving you a, a chance to win than playing Logan Smothers. And so I, I think that kind of tells you everything you need to know that while fans and media have seen Logan in, in very brief snippets uh, over the last year and a half, these guys see him every day and they see, you know, how, what each quarterback is doing on a daily basis and still feel that even as banged up as Adrian is, he will give them the best chance. And they have not wavered from that regardless of uh, the performances over the last few weeks. Let's talk running the football this week. Uh, Nebraska first half ran the ball against Purdue better than anybody really has almost all season. The problem is the third quarter, nine carries, nine yards after having about 115 in the first half, and they were on their way to win. I mean, if Nebraska runs for 230 on the ground, 250, they win that game. And the balance was gone. They became predictable. And, you know, you look at the stats, Nebraska averaged 9.3 yards per snap on 30 first down plays, and they still had a third down average of 7.9 yards. I don't, I don't even understand how that's possible. Yeah, I know. Like, you want to talk about third down offense. Like, uh, you can have that big Oh, it's of a second down offense. Second down. Second down offense led to bad third down. So, how many times was Nebraska like second and two, second and three, second and one, and they took a sack, they got a penalty, they took a negative play. I mean, just so many things put them in the holes. They've got to figure out a better way to run the ball with more consistency. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, there's the one play, speaking of second and shorts, uh, you know, there's the play where it looked like people were just kind of standing around and then Adrian ended up getting sacked. It was a second and one at midfield. They ran and they a, snapped and it. They, they, they snapped it and Adrian just holds the ball and, and gets sacked and ends up being a, a third and third medium. Well, they tried to do a trick play there and like the receiver was, they were basically trying to catch. Uh, produce corners who were looking at the sideline trying to read the sig signals and so they had the guys standing there watching the signals and then they just did a quick snap and the receiver was supposed to just run right by the Purdue corner that was standing there looking at the sideline well he ends up getting tangled up and the play doesn't work so I mean like they're going to all these different efforts to try to capitalize better uh, on their their mid-down uh, opportunities and clearly nothing's really working especially late in that game where you know they they had a chance to close the book on that deal with the way they were controlling the offensive line uh, and then the line of scrimmage, and yet they were not able to do anything after halftime. Nine carries for nine yards. Uh, that's pretty staggering considering how good they were in the first half. When you, you get glimpses of what it can be, Jacques Jeanne has a 33 and an 18-yard carry. 
on plays that were one apart, so a play in between that. But in a three-play sp- three span, he gave them 51 yards of rushing, and then he disappeared. Um, so how do you get that consistency in there um, You know, with a guy like Yant, with a guy like Johnson? They have no chance to win these games, Robin, without balance. No chance. Yeah, and we've seen what happens. Because the whole talk of the offseason was finding ways to take some of the pressure off Adrian Martinez and – Uh, More often than not, it usually always comes down to Adrian Martinez, for better or worse, where they need him to make the exceptional play to have a chance to move the ball, or they die by, you know, costly mistakes that he's prone to make. And I think when you put so much on him, he's just not a consistent enough player. I mean, uh, with his big play ability, he, he... can change the course of a game, but he can also do it uh, in, in the way you don't want to by taking two, some bad decisions and uh, putting the ball where it doesn't need to be and end up you know, like having a turnover that can like totally dictate the, the course of the game. All right, when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion. We'll talk some defensive storylines from Nebraska versus Ohio State. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. No one on our team is really given that indication that that they're gonna set it in and uh, you know and, and give up. That's just not that's just not how this that how that locker room rolls. You know, if there is someone like that, we usually squash that pretty quick. The captains have done a great job in, in you know just getting that standard set. And uh, like I said, there, there's, that's not really gonna happen with our team. It's it's just not who we are. We're real close. If we're not close. We we there. I can say just the way we just approach every game. Uh, We've been playing some good football lately, and uh, you just got to show. That's all we be talking about. It just has to show. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett now talking defensive storylines heading into this game with Ohio State. And, man, where do you start? I mean, the Buckeyes literally probably have a four or five star at every position Mm -hmm. um, across the board. Rarely do you see even three stars in their receiver and running back type spots, but I mean, you got Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, the top two receivers right now on the Melt Kuyper draft board. C.J. Stroud, maybe the best freshman quarterback in college football. Um, Trayvon Wilson, um, Henderson. Henderson, the second leading rusher in the conference, um, only behind Kenneth Walker, um, and a really, really good offensive line that has given Nebraska problems the last couple of years. So um, this is, we thought Oklahoma was a good offense. I, I think this is definitely a more complete unit when you look at especially the receivers that they have. Well, and then also with the, just the development that their young question, I mean, CJ Stroud was probably the biggest question on that entire offense. Uh, and he had a rough start. I mean, he, he did not play exceptionally well through the first few weeks, especially that game at Oregon. And there were some questions of whether he was going to be the guy. Well, he's, he's turned it on and has started playing like an Ohio state five-star quarterback and, uh, you know, has really started to light it up. And it's easy to do when you have that many weapons. But I think part of that, too, is Ohio State's running game has really come into its own uh, with, with Travion Henderson. Like you said, 105 yards per game, 12 touchdowns. Uh, Ohio State's run the ball for over 200 yards per game on average. And, you know, that's um, the six yards per carry to go along with that. So when you have that type of balance with those types of weapons to work with, uh <laughs> I don't know where you start if you're in Nebraska's defense. You know, I think they always want to take away, uh, you know, the, the best, whatever the opposing offense does best. And usually that's pretty easy to identify. But what is the best thing that Ohio State does right now? Do you take away 
you, you can't just focus on one wide receiver. You have two potential first round guys out there. You can't focus on committing to, to stopping the pass and getting after the quarterback because then they'll just beat you with the run with one of the best rushers in the Big Ten. And then, of course, they have uh, a big physical extremely talented offensive line that does not give up a lot of sacks and like I said gets gets good push off the line so really a daunting challenge in a lot of regards it, it is Nebraska's strength defensively but this is by far the biggest test they will have faced this year well and just Nebraska's offensive line too another reason why um, you know you, you just look at running the football for Nebraska this week I mean they, they've got to keep this offense off the field like they can't mm-hmm. allow Ohio State to have, you know, so many more possessions. Yeah, I mean, we've seen what happens when uh, these getting the good, those games. Oklahoma where, was the perfect way to do it. Exactly. So it's the, the game plan has to be similar. I mean, you have to keep uh, Stroud uncomfortable. You have to get after him with some pressure, but you can't overcommit with like a lot of blitzes. So the defensive line is going to have to have a big responsibility, not only holding the fort for to, to slow down the running game. But to be able to create pressure uh, by just rushing four so that Nebraska can devote enough personnel into the back end to try to contain uh, Wilson and Olave. So that's that's easier said than done, um, obviously, but that's the formula that's going to have to happen. And more importantly, when you do have an opportunity to get a stop for either a loss or a short gain, you have to make that tackle. You cannot have the missed tackles that they had against Purdue with the leaky yardage they were able to get. Uh, that kind of changed the course of the game. It was a big reason why Purdue was able to hold the ball that long and dominate time of possession because they churned out plays that should have been stopped well short for five or six extra yards. What also worries me, Robin, is just Nebraska's pass rush. When they rush four, they just aren't getting home. Nope. and. You know, the way Ben Stilley is schemed, he's going against two. So it, it's hard for him. I mean, he's got to blow through two guys to get in there. And Damian Daniels, they said this on the Husker Radio Network, so I'm not dropping any scoop here, um, but he's battling a shoulder injury. Mm. And he left the game, came back in, and Matt Davison alluded to that in the broadcast this last week. Um, so he's he's slowed down. Ty Robinson has gotten the one sack on the year, but he's also kind of a body eater. I mean, they, they need Garrett Nelson, Feldarius Payne, and Caleb Tanner, those guys mainly to, to get to quarterbacks better. And that just – Garrett Nelson, I feel like the last couple of weeks has been a non-factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, honestly, both those guys. I mean, really, the, 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 the guys that you would look to – to be those primary edge pass rushers have just not gotten it done. And so Nebraska's had to blitz more and those blitzes aren't getting home either. And so they're giving up uh, opportunities uh, on the back end with zero reward for the pressure that they're bringing. So that's a terrible formula. If that, if that starts happening, you're putting yourself at a real disadvantage. That's hard to overcome, especially against an offense like Ohio state that will take advantage of anything that you give them. So like I said, it's, it's a tall task. It's a daunting challenge across the board. But um, you know, Nebraska's shown that they can match up against some of the elite offensive players and elite offensive systems in college football. Uh, but you know, there's there's just a lot that they have to account for on Saturday, and they have to be darn near perfect to do it. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show as we wrap up defensive discussion. Deontay Williams, it just doesn't feel like we'll see him back this week. I, I've been saying all along, Robin. Yeah, they didn't even mention him today. Um, that he's more guy. When's the last time we've talked to Travis Fisher? A few weeks? Yeah. I mean, they really rotate those guys. I mean, you, only, you basically get the two coordinators every week, and then the other assistants like once a month. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean we just talked to Mike Dawson on Tuesday, and it seemed like it had been a month since we talked to yeah, him. Yeah, it's, so. a, it's a rotation. And, and you know, he, so, yeah, 
it's hard to kind of know. They did play Noah Pola Gates only three snaps the other day. Um, so, you know, it, it's going to be another big Miles Farmer game. And, and that somewhat worries you because I, I just think there's a pretty big drop off between Farmer to, to Williams. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about one of your most experienced and top playmakers uh, on, on the defense. I mean, Deontay Williams was a critical part of the success Nebraska's had with his ability to make those game-changing plays with interceptions, big hits, and all that. And Miles Farmer did did okay. I mean, he didn't have any like overly glaring mistakes. He wasn't perfect, but you know, he played 85 snaps, and that was by far the biggest workload of his career. And you know, he he, he did fine. You know, and I think that they were happy about that. But uh, this is a much different situation where with Purdue's offense, you had David Bell, and then the the drop off for your next biggest concern was pretty significant. Well, here. I mean, Miles Farmer is going to be matched up in tough situations against NFL level players, and how he responds first round, yes, first round. I mean, literally, NFL guys that players. will be starting in NFL teams next year. Both both of Ohio State's wide receivers are being projected in the first round by Mel Kiper, like the top two pick in that first mock. And da- well, David Bell's and then Dotson are also first yeah. rounders. I mean, yeah. honestly, four of the top five NFL prospect receivers could be in the Big Ten right now. Yeah, they're up there for sure. Top I mean, ten, obviously. Sure. SEC is going to have some others, but. Yeah, they got their work cut out for them. When we come back, though, we're going to switch to the mailbag. Abby Barmore will join us here in studio, and we'll take your questions. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. The ups and downs that we've been through and all the adversity that we face, like everything that we want is still in front of us, which is, like, hard to fathom even at this point. So it's just one day at a time, one foot in front of the other. We got to do. We got to do little things, and individually, we got to do little things a little different. It's our approach. It's our mindset. It's our habits. Can we? Can we just shift our approach just this much individually, and then collectively, it all shifts to where things roll in our favor. You know, and the ball bounces in our hands, not theirs. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as this segment of the Husker Online Show. Brought to you by the Aer Lingus College Football Classic taking place in August of 2022 when Nebraska will take on Northwestern. You want to get your trip planned right now and and you want to start getting your passport updated, all these little things um, in order to go to Ireland. You even want to probably start looking at plane ticket prices on Aer Lingus. Um, But most importantly, you want to visit the website Huskers to Ireland dot com as this is your home base to find everything you want to know about this trip all the packages all the different things being offered and you want to book on huskers to ireland.com because they're directly working with tourism ireland and they have a lock on all the things that you're going to want to do in ireland uh, kind of a hold on all the the golf tea times reservations um, and there's going to be thousands of Husker fans on this trip that all want to do the same thing. So make sure you get on. Check out Huskers to Ireland. Lock up your trip now to make sure you make this the trip that it is going to be. It's a trip of a lifetime. That's the College Football Classic in Dublin, Ireland um, in 2022. But let's get into the mailbag, Abby. We bring in Abby Barmore into the show. What do you have to lead us off in the mailbag? Outside of quarterback, what position on offense needs to play its best against Ohio State to give them a shot to win? Front seven on defense. Um, Ohio State's a team that wants to run for 300 rushing yards a game. If Nebraska is, quote, I hate this saying, but leaky, if they're leaky and they miss tackles and one two-yard runs or six seven-yard runs, it's going to be a long day. Yeah, and pass rush is going to be important too, being able to get pressure with four uh, because they're not going to be able to go crazy with blitzes with the weapons 
Ohio State has. So you have to commit to stopping the run, and you have to be able to get some pressure on Stroud and keep him uncomfortable. Place kicker Chase Contreras started on Saturday, and he didn't miss a kick. Do you think he's going to start again against Ohio State, and how important is his role going to be? Oh, absolutely. He's the guy. I, I think what's really interesting to me is the Iowa Western football program has been around, I think it's 2008 or 2009, and we've talked about this program, like how it could benefit Nebraska. This is the first Iowa Western Reaver that has contributed for Nebraska. Um, so I, I look at that as big of a storyline angle in this as anything. Yeah, uh, and I, I agree with you. They, they, they finally seem to find somebody there. He didn't do much. I mean, two extra points, a 33-yard field goal, but he did what he, he was did supposed to do. He did his job. Exactly, and you didn't have to hold your breath on every kick. So uh, just to have some sort of stability in the most basic functions of your place-kicking game I think is a valuable addition. Robin, what were some of your biggest takeaways from Nebraska basketball's two exhibition games this past week? Well, the Prue State game, I don't really put much of anything into that one. Uh, but the Colorado game, uh, and I, I think I wrote this, for an October 31st charity exhibition game, that was about as big of a statement as you could expect a team to make. Uh, with uh, Colorado coming into that, I think in the AP poll, they would have rounded out to about 35th nationally in the preseason rankings. They were 35th in Ken Palm, and yes, they did lose some key pieces from last season's NCAA tournament team, but they brought a lot back, and they added a uh, you know one of the, the top recruiting classes in the country. So there was a lot of expectations for Colorado, and Nebraska dominated them. They did not trail throughout the entire game. They led by as many as 27 points, and yeah, they gave up a late rally where that lead went down to 12, but Nebraska made the winning plays when it needed to and, and got the job done. So that was a game that both teams were they were playing to win. Yes, it was an exhibition, but that was the kind of the, the barometer where both those teams wanted to see kind of where they stood going into the actual season. And they were able to Nebraska, like I said, they, they kind of painted a picture of what they could be when things clicked the way that they did. I know this is a phrase that we all try to avoid, but if, at this point in the season – is it possible for Nebraska to have a moral victory in the last three games without getting an actual win? No. I mean, sure, yes. I mean, if they played Ohio State into the last minute, I mean, I think people will be really proud and inspired. And I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, people want to win, but they also want to be proud of how Nebraska plays too. And even if like Nebraska would have found a way to beat Minnesota or beat Purdue, it would have felt dirty. I mean, it wouldn't have felt like a – you know, a deserving win if they would have, like, recovered that onside kick and, mm -hmm. and, and whatnot. So I, I do think people just want a prideful product that executes and plays hard and doesn't do dumb stuff like when the game's on the line. Yeah, but there's also been so many instances where Nebraska plays, like, elite-level football for nearly four full quarters, but then there's that one play, and they end up losing the game because of that one critical mistake. And so... You know, I, I don't know because there's been so many instances of trying to find moral victories in losses in games that they should have won uh, to where now you're at the point where you got to you got to show that you're capable of winning those games. You have to have a winning mentality, not just a play well enough to be close in the end mentality. All right. You got time for about two more, Abby. There was a lot of surprises in the first round of the Nebraska Class A playoffs. Sean, what did you think of that first round? I'll tell you, the one that probably surprised me the most, and I, I know it's easy to say Millard South getting beat by Omaha North, but we knew Omaha North had talent. They had played everybody close all year. They didn't have football the year before. Um, and, you know, they had a very difficult schedule to start. And, you know, so 
that was a really tough draw from Millard South as a 116. Omaha North was probably more like a 10, 11 seed. They got dropped down just because of some early scheduling that they had to play. I think Grand Island beating Creighton Prep was the one that surprised me the most. Um, Creighton Prep had been playing outstanding football down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And th- man for man, they've got better athletes in Grand Island. Creighton Prep does. So that was probably my biggest surprise. And it would be interesting how this all shakes out because um, you know, I think it sets up for Elkhorn South to get back into the finals now, potentially. And you know, Bellevue West and, and Westside are on the other end. So that it's going to be um, potentially – you know, we might see the same finals last year. We, we could see Westside and Elkhorn South. I mean, so it will be interesting kind of how this all shakes out. Final question. All right, final question. So Nebraska has done the last few night games, the Thunderstruck light show in between the third and the fourth quarter. Is this done for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think, you know, unfortunately it can't work during a day game. And, you know, if daylight, if, if daylight savings time would have happened by now, you know, it would have been dark by the fourth quarter when you add an hour to the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was still light in the fourth quarter for the game. And obviously it's an 11 a.m. this week, so there's not going to be any darkness. Um, but, yeah, it's unfortunate that it's you're kind of locked into night game only on mm-hmm. one of the cooler things Nebraska's brought out to their stadium. Yeah, and, you know, they could do it still, but it wouldn't have nearly the same effect. I mean, especially – with the two times that they did it, that Northwestern, like the, the debut of it was awesome, especially because everybody was like all jacked up because it was a dominant win. Yeah, exactly. And then the, the Michigan game I thought was even cooler because they did it. Nebraska was playing well. It was a close game going against a top 10 team going to the fourth quarter. And then Michigan like went onto the field like to, dance like, off. to dance off and like challenge. Like the, the, they're like meeting at midfield about to fight. It was awesome. Like that, I don't, you, I don't think you could top that. And so to do it like with you know, the still sun in the sky, like it, it would not go nearly as well. And the Irish song. Um, you hate the Irish uh, song. I don't hate it. I just feel. <laughs> you get like physically mad. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> he does. It's awkward karaoke, you know, like where you get called up on the stage at Roca Tavern and get up here and sing this with us. Like, I don't even know the song. So, Abby, you're saying they do a version for volleyball? Like, they change the words? Cook wanted that, right? Yeah, yeah. Cook said something about it on the radio, uh, Sports Nightly, how he likes that song. He wanted to do something for Nebraska. And Cook says it. They make it happen. So, they also started doing a thing for when the players are running out onto the court, they put a camera down there so you can see them running in like they do for the football it's tunnel like their own walk. little tunnel walk. That, uh, Cook also brought that up on the radio. So Remember when they, used to, the, the, yeah. they used to have a camera in the locker room for the tunnel walk and like the, yes. the, the creed was on camera? Um, that was only during the Mike Riley era because you know Mike Riley would like let you do anything. Like, yeah. hey, Mike, do you want to have all the media at every practice? Sure. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> You want to have a camera in your sacred locker room? Sure. No other coach in Nebraska has allowed that. Mainly because you have guys that could cuss, and that happened. Yes, it did happen. Jack Gangwish <laughs> dropped like a loud cuss word on the opening tunnel walk, and it's like, yeah, maybe we need yeah, to. Let's just keep them outside the doors. Change it up. And there's a there's an effect, except I think there was the one time where like it took, <laughs> I don't know, like the Michigan game. Yeah, it was the Michigan. Game. It took it was like, like everyone's fired five, up. Five, five doors to the doors to open, <laughs> like, and you're like, and now yeah, and. Cool. Go. Come on. And now. They, would, they, they had to like do a loop of the tunnel walk so the, the serious to because this song was going to run out. It took so long. It's like, all right. Well, remember when they tried to change the tunnel walk song under Scott Frost when he first yeah. got here and they tried to 
do something and that didn't go very well. No. I mean, like you got to like commit to it. You got to find something different. They just like did a, like a remix of it with like different songs spliced in and yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you're going to change it, just change it and do something completely different. Not going to happen. No. All right. Well, that wraps up the mailbag. When we come back, I will be joined by Colin Gay of the Scarlet and Gray Report. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I, the biggest obstacle you have to overcome against them is they got a bunch of future NFL guys and good coaches, and you're going to have to execute really well and take advantage of the opportunities you get. Um, you know, they've been putting up a lot of points, so you got to do a good job on defense, and you got to score when you get a chance to an offense. I wouldn't say psychological is the biggest issue. It's how talented the team they have. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Final segment of the program here as Nebraska getting ready for their 11 a.m. game on Saturday against Ohio State on Fox. And as we do each week on the Husker Online Show, we close the show with some opponent talk. And joining me here on the program from the Scarlet and Gray Report of the Rivals.com Network, uh, pleased to be joined by Colin Gay, um, who's been with this Buckeye team here all season, uh, covering every, every move and Colin, obviously, um, you know things got off track there with that Oregon loss. Um, you know, how have you seen this team really respond and rebound um, from that early season loss to the Ducks? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I think, I mean, really, if you look at the Oregon game, it was kind of that was the it was two weeks into the year, but it was the kind of the the point where Ohio State could start over. I mean, it was a young team. And it was kind of that moment of, oh, this is uh, this uh, this is where um, we want to be. This is the level that uh, we expected to be, but we're not there yet. And and that had to do with youth, both offensively and defensively. So they kind of got that example uh, against Oregon of of okay, this is the level of a national program, and this is what we can do to build. And and they had time to build it too, um, from the Tulsa game through Indiana. I mean, there were some bumps and bruises along the way, a lot of changes, whether it was with the coaching staff, Matt Barnes going to defensive play calling, uh, some personnel changes, some development of, of guys both offensively and defensively. Um, I mean, the biggest one being C.J. Stroud at quarterback for sure. But, I mean, they've really just been able to grow and mold into seemingly what they could be viewed as – a nationally ranked powerhouse again, a contender again, which, I mean, they didn't look like against Oregon. And now when they had the opportunity to face, just uh, see that adversity again uh, this past weekend against Penn State, I mean, those problems came up again. And, and, and it was just an opportunity to show this is a team that's still young. This is a team that's still growing. And it's just interesting to see. I mean, there were moments in that Penn State game where, you saw a team that's shown progress. You saw a team, an offense that's been a lot better, whether it was it was a 38-yard. I just watched the game again today, and it was a 38-yard pass from uh, C.J. Stroud and Chris Olave. That was, I mean, that's that's the quarterback we've seen over the past few weeks. But, I mean, there's, there's still a lot of progress here to go. Um, but this is a confident team uh, coming into Lincoln on Saturday. Yeah, and you look at that schedule. They had six full weeks um, with a bye in there as well. Um, before they played Penn State, I mean that six-week stretch. You, I mean, you can just see the growth Ohio State has made when they put 59 on Akron, 52 on a really quality Rutgers defense, and then 66 on Maryland, 54 on Indiana. 
I mean, these are Big Ten defenses here. I don't care who the opponent is. I mean, those numbers really had to, to get a lot of attention um, just how much Stroud and, and this offense has grown. I mean, what what has really made this offense click? Really, it's confidence, and it's it's a level of comfort, especially stemming from C.J. Stroud. And, and if you look, you mentioned that Akron game, and I mean, that's a game that C.J. Stroud didn't play in. Uh, that was Kyle McCord and Jack Miller's time to kind of show what they can do. Stroud was resting his shoulder, uh, an injury that he came in with over the course of the preseason and kind of lingered throughout the first three games of the year. Coming out onto the field against Rutgers, on the road at Rutgers, you saw a different quarterback in C.J. Stroud. You saw a guy who sat in the pocket that waited for receivers to get open, hitting guys in stride instead of underthrowing and overthrowing them like he did against, say, Oregon, like he did against um, definitely Tulsa. I mean, you saw a quarterback that, I mean, he was comfortable, he was confident. You saw the quarterback that Ohio State saw to give him the starting job in the first place as a retro freshman. Now, they didn't have a lot of experience at that position, so they didn't really have a, much of a choice there, um, you know, picking a, uh, a guy with a little more experience. But, I mean, that was the guy that they, they saw that could lead their offense. And, and I think just his ability to be confident in the passing game to lead a passing game with three of the best receivers in the country um it doesn't it doesn't hurt that he also has one of the most talented freshman uh, running backs in the country too but he's uh trevion henderson starting to find his own groove as well it's just it's it's it just takes time and i think you've seen an offense kind of just develop and and and, and grow from Defenses that, I mean, yes, they're Big Ten defenses, but they're not as good as, say, you know, the Penn State that they saw uh, a couple nights ago. You saw, I mean, and, and that's when the struggles kind of started to come alive a little bit again for C.J. Stroud in the offense. And Trevion Henderson was faced adversity for really the first time in his uh, college career. Um, so it'll be interesting, I mean, to find out, okay, over the these next stretch of four games, how will Ohio State respond to the adversity that they saw against Penn State? And especially offensively, I mean, that's going to be their ticket to wherever they want to go, whether it's, you know, a Big Ten championship or even the playoff. It's going to be on the confidence and the, the shoulder, the throwing arm of uh, C.J. Stroud for sure. We're talking here with Colin Gay of the Scarlet and Gray uh, Report. Colin, um, when, when you look at this game with Nebraska on Saturday – any fear at all of the 11 a.m. kickoff hangover on the road, especially after playing a night game that was pretty emotionally charged against Penn State? Um, I think I mean I one of the it, it's funny you mentioned this because I mean the last time that I covered Ohio State, I mean it was in 2017 and 2018, and those I mean uh, for those outside of, uh, Columbus, those are the years of the Iowa loss and the Penn state loss, or, uh, excuse me, Purdue loss. I mean, both of those on the road, both of those, I mean, kind of sandwiched, I don't remember in between or after or before, like just big games, uh, for Ohio state. Now I think, I think Ohio state, there's a lot of questions, uh, to prove here. And, and I think that's kind of why, I mean, obviously, uh, there's, there's aspects of a road game. There's aspects of, you know, traveling to Nebraska that, I mean, that should keep Ohio state on its toes. Now, I think the thing that is keeping me kind of away from those say trap game 
ideas or those things are really Ohio State has has uh, no room for error anymore, especially because of that Oregon game. And if they want a Big Ten title, I mean, every game is going to be that game for them. And that's kind of the message that Ryan Day is bringing uh, to this um, to this team. But I mean, obviously, yeah, Penn State's a big game. But I mean, from here on out. Every single game for Ohio State is going to be the one that, if, if they lose, it's going to be the one that keeps them from a Big Ten title and also from the college football playoff. So it'll be, I, I mean, obviously there's aspects to a road game. There's aspects to whether it's the start time, whether it's, you know, not playing a night game, not playing at Ohio Stadium. That, that will, could provide issues for Ohio State. I mean, Adrian Martinez has been a very, very good quarterback. I mean, if you just look at the yardage uh, for uh, Nebraska's offense, I mean, they've been, relatively hard to stop um but i think i mean there's there's a level of confidence with this group and i don't think the trap game narrative is kind of taking control of this group quite yet well colin i appreciate the time and uh looking forward to meeting you here and seeing you on saturday in lincoln yeah absolutely thanks for having me all right well that wraps it up here for this week's edition of the husker online show make sure you're you find us on Twitter. Uh, you can download and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you can find podcasts. Just search the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.